0: We downloaded this business contract, but then we edited it and we basically put this paragraph in that if either one of us is feeling like we want to opt out of the business, we need to send ourselves on a retreat for a month, <laughs> And <laughs> which is perfect. It's still actually in our contract today. We've left it in there. Welcome to Yaro's podcast, where you'll discover the stories behind
1: world-class performers, business builders, and enlightened leaders. Today's episode is brought to you by inboxdone.com who provide a human being to take over your email inboxes. That's right, someone else can handle your email for you. This company was started after I went to a networking dinner with some other entrepreneurs and I explained to them that I only checked my email once per month. They looked at me quite shocked, so I had to explain that I actually have someone else handling about 95% of my messages. That's why I only need to go into my inbox once a month. That is the origin story of the inboxdone.com company. We've since gone on to launch this business to help other entrepreneurs and successful people like you who spend way too much time on their email when they should be doing other productive tasks for their business or fun things in their life. If this resonates with you, if you're getting too much email, you're spending too much time in your inbox, and you know having someone dedicated to handling your email, your customer service, and doing proactive things like chasing up clients over email, then Inbox Done is for you. Check it out at www.inboxdone.com. Hi, this is Yarrow and welcome to a show. Now today I have a guest who is going to talk about her business and I'm excited about this because her business, unlike almost all of my guests, actually has Physical presence in the real world, and she does things in the real world as well. So it's, a, it's an offline/slash online, certainly from the marketing side, interview today. And it's also someone who I met in Australia back when I lived there. Uh, we'll, we'll share that story in a moment, but let me welcome my guest. Hello, Christina Symes.
0: Hi, how are you? Here?
1: I'm good. I should have asked before if I'm getting your last name right. Is it Simes or Seams? Or...
0: Times is perfect. Spot okay. on. <laughs> Fantastic.
1: So, Christina and I go way back. Sort of. <laughs> we have a we definitely have the most unique meeting story for all my guests. I can't say this about anyone else. That. I met you because you were kind of like the, what do you call it? You're the hostess, the door girl. What is it?
0: Door door girl. Yeah. At a bar in Brisbane called The End. And it's crazy that we met at that time because that was a very pivotal point in my life where, you know, I was changing careers. I was working on the door as a second job to save money to move overseas and study interior design in Florence. And you met me a couple of months before I left and now I'm here with my business and we're yeah, chatting online, which yes. is amazing.
1: <laughs> it is. Now, what, what is that business? So people know, you know what, what you're here to talk about.
0: So my business is called We Are Tried and I run it with my best friend, Jess, and we are interior design and styling but we kind of call ourselves a bit of a multi-platform business because we do product design, we do brand partnerships, we write articles and, yeah, we, we basically, you know, our business is split up into two sides, one being service-based and the other side being more educational where we, you know, try and act as a bit of a voice in the industry.
1: So for those listening who want to check out some of christina's work it's we are tribe.com with two eyes in tribe and i'm sure you could google we are tribe and that would come up in a search too i recommend you go to the portfolio page so you can stare at the beautiful designs and all these different stores around australia by the looks of things
0: yeah globally now too globally. which is yeah it's been amazing. So the business is about five and a half years old now, and we launched it in Sydney when I got back from living in Florence and I did a stint working in Berlin after my studies as well and then but my whole plan was to go study the course with the idea of coming back and starting the interior design business with my best friend, Jess. So she came to me before I went away or decided to study and she was like, I want to start a business with you. And I, we were both at this phase in our lives of not really being content in our current jobs. Mine was, you know, working in marketing and styling and I was running a production company with um, another woman at the time which that business didn't work out, which was an amazing learning curve pre-starting We Are Tribe. And yeah, and I just said, look, if I'm going to start doing interiors with you, I want to know what I'm talking about. So I, you know, applied for this course and only 14 people get, you know, selected every semester worldwide to go and I got accepted. And within three months, I had my bags packed and on my way. And so I um, studied there, did the one-year intense course, which was phenomenal and got back and, we launched Tribe in, um, in Sydney. And from there, we've just kind of been building it into what it is today.
1: It's an amazing story, especially given... I remember because we were at this this kind of cocktail lounge kind of bar and I remember spending more time outside, probably because inside was loud and noisy and difficult to have a conversation. Plus, you were very friendly. And <laughs> hearing about the Florence story, I remember thinking, that sounds so exotic. You're going to an 80- <laughs> Theory design course in Florence of which only you know dozen and a half people get to participate so far different from standing outside a bar in the west end in Brisbane Australia so um, (laughs) can we go back a bit first like you said you had a failed business um, or maybe let's call it a not quite outcome you wanted business, because I don't really believe in failure. It's a learning experience. But even before that, was there this desire to be your own boss when you were younger? Like, how did you see yourself in the future, even when you were a teenager and deciding, should I go to university? Or, you know, what should I do for a living?
0: Yeah, 100%. So when I was in high school, I didn't really apply myself. So I was very sports focused and very creative. But I just... I always had this underlying thing where I knew I was going to run my own business one day. It was it was funny. Like my marks at school were atrocious, and you know, Mum threatened me. You know, at the end of every year when I got my report card, that she was going to you know send me to you know the terrible public school. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> and you know, I, I went I just, to
1: a terrible public school, so it's not that. Bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. And you know, public schools are great. So you know, I, it probably would have been better off sending me there but I just didn't know what I wanted to do when I was younger and I didn't you know really have it put an emphasis on my strengths yet but when I finished high school I knew I wanted to work in either fashion or in interiors and my dad's an architect and I always had an interest in interiors but when I finished high school I decided that I was going to keep interiors as more of a you know like just a personal passion and things and I went into the fashion industry and I was working as a stylist and you know won a small scholarship in Sydney for a short course and then went from there and was working you know with some really good brands and doing amazing shoots but along that journey I met another woman who was a stylist and she'd already had a production business so organizing campaigns and big production shoots for brands right from start to finish And so she basically was working alongside me on a couple of projects and asked me to come on board as a business partner 50-50. And at the time, I was like, amazing. You know, this is what I want to do. And, you know, we got along really well and we worked really well together. And I basically just, you know, quit my part-time job Working in, I was doing a marketing job or juggling a couple of jobs at that time. This was my early 20s. And I went into business with her for a year. But what went wrong was we had no business plan. We were just getting clients whenever we could. We, there was no structure to it. There was no, you know, kind of overseeing finances and what was coming in and what was going out. And, you know, sure enough, and understandably it fell apart in the end and we weren't bringing in enough income to support you know two wages and so we decided to part ways and it really crushed me for about you know 10 to 12 months i was just so heavily invested in running that business and i was emotionally invested and so when it didn't work out i was i was feeling really deflated and it just kind of you know i didn't really know what my direction was for a bit and so I had many conversations with my best friend Jess and I was like you know what do I want to do and and she was like you know what do you love like what do you you know what are your interests and I was like you know what I was like I don't actually even want to work in the fashion industry anymore like it, it had become a job for me versus a passion and I was at this fashion week in Sydney and I remember sitting there when I was trying to contemplate what I was going to do next. And I saw all these girls like buzzing around working at the event. And I was like, these girls love this industry and I'm just, you know, I like wearing jeans and a t-shirt. I don't, I'm not passionate about seasonal clothing or what designers release things. And and that was kind of this big realisation moment. It's like, I actually don't want to pursue anything else in this industry. And I realised that, you know, when I was getting on a plane, I was buying Vogue Living or, you know, interior magazines to flick through, verse fashion magazines. And I was like, you know what? maybe this is something I I need to do and Jess, my business partner, she had already studied interior design and we were actually living together when she was studying interior design and I would sit and I'd help her with her assignments and she just turned to me and she was like, you know what, you have such a keen eye for interiors. She was like, honestly, I think you need to do this and she was by that stage already working as an exhibition designer in Brisbane for an amazing gallery called GOMA and so basically designing these amazing exhibitions and she's like look I love what I do but I want to start something on my own and I want to start it with you and at that time I was so hesitant because I was like you were my best friend I was like I just had a business partnership fall apart and at that time you know when we parted ways with my old business partner we didn't talk for a very long time it was one of those you know kind of both of us feeling quite scarred from the experience and not that it was a bad falling out at all. I think, you know, after that experience, you just kind of feel like you need a bit of space. And her and I are actually on, you know, very good terms now and moved past that. But I was like, I can't go through that again if if something falls apart and if it doesn't work out. And we just kind of said to each other, we were like, let's just give it a go. And friendship comes first and foremost, like right from the start. And we downloaded this business partnership from online, which is like a business contract. <laughs> and it was hilarious. We just googled it, but then we edited it and we just said in like we basically put this paragraph in that if either one of us, you know, is feeling like we want to opt out of the business, we need to send ourselves on a retreat for a month. <laughs> and <laughs> Which is perfect. It's still actually in our contract today. We've left it in there. It's amazing. But yeah, we need to go on a retreat for four weeks and then come back and rethink if we actually want to opt out. (laughs) That's great. Very Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. But she was the one that encouraged me to study it. And when I went over to Florence, I um, assumed that first day and the, the lecturers were phenomenal like nothing I'd ever experienced in Australia you know the my lecturers were working for like the creme de la creme brands over there and you know they'd come in just lecture us for an hour but then go off and you know be working for Italian brands like you know, Morosso and, you know, my interior design lecturer, his dad was a famous architect and, you know, it was just the learning from the best. And I was such a sponge and I ended up completely acing this course and, you know, getting basically A pluses for every single subject and like hundred out of a hundred. And my mum was just like, why couldn't you get this at high school? Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, exactly. And you know what? It's like as soon as you find your thing, your niche, it's like everything's falls into place. And it was just like, I was just taking so much on board and I was like, cool, I've, I've found my thing.
1: I got to stop you too many questions and we're going <laughs> to move into the next phase of the story just yet. So first question, because I know people listening will be like, what is the name of this course that you did in Florence? Cause perhaps I want to do it. What, what is it called?
0: It's called the Florence Institute of Design International. And so it's an English course and anyone can apply from around the world. And I think they've they've expanded the school since I've been there. So I don't know if it's just 14 people per semester per, per class, but it's incredible. Like I highly, highly recommend. I've had people contact me on LinkedIn and Facebook that have seen me, complete strangers, you know, that have seen me like linked to the Florence Institute of Design LinkedIn. And they're like, tell me about it. And I cannot rave about it like enough. It's an intense course. I only did a one year diploma, but it's five days full time. And you basically go in, you learn, you know, within an hour or two certain subject and they're like, great, you need to bring back this assignment next week. And you also need to self teach yourself like additional amount from these YouTube videos that we send you. And so you're constantly like it. I was I did many all nighters, but it's the most phenomenal city to live in and to have that experience. So I highly
1: recommend. And how hard was it to get in? Like what's what's the secret there to be one of the fourteen lucky people?
0: I just had to put together a portfolio. And so you can work in anything. You don't have to have studied interior design before. I hadn't. And but I just I basically told a bit about my background with my work and then I put together, I think, uh, from memory, an interior scheme and a floor plan and basically just showed my style and got accepted from that, thankfully. So. I remember the couple of days after putting in the submission and I could barely sleep and I kept on waking up in the middle of the night and just checking my emails and it was, I think, about 3 a.m. in the morning when I finally saw that I'd been accepted and I um woke up my partner at the time and I was like, oh my God, Like I'm going. So yeah, it was wild.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, personal bit of a cheeky question just for fun. I, I was curious, you and Jess living together, both girls interested in and interior design and, and making things look nice. How nice was the apartment you guys lived together?
0: <laughs> it was my parents place oh, okay. so <laughs> uh so my parents actually were my dad was working as an expat over in korea at the time and so it was quite funny i don't know why they let us live together straight out of high school but yeah it was a hilarious year that we were living together okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. so not, not quite a, a blank canvas you can't mess with your parents house too much but <laughs> um, no
0: no exactly
1: Okay, more serious question though. So going into this new business uh, with Jess that so we can talk about in a moment, having had such a rough experience, especially with the ending of the previous one, and I can already see you you put in this clause and you had this contract. So you clearly took away some lessons from that. Uh, and you were talking about managing finances and you know having a business plan. Can you maybe talk a little bit about the one or two or maybe three very most important lessons you took from that business that you brought into making the next one
0: okay so i think definitely having a business plan or just a vision because i find that business plans constantly change and you need to evolve as you go because you know certain jobs come on board that you weren't expecting and stuff but i think having, you know, like whether it's even just a six-month, you know, vision that you can kind of work towards. And then I highly recommend even, you know, right from the beginning, even if it's a bit of an expense, getting a good financial team or just a financial structure around you. So, we were really fortunate that a friend of ours ran a financial planning practice and he took us on board. He wasn't actually even a friend. He just went to the same high school as us. And we knew that he was running this business and our accountant at the time said, I think you should speak to Darren. And he had taken over his dad's business, which was like, you know, kind of just a regular financial planning practice, but then remodeled it to work with younger entrepreneurs, You know, we start up businesses and he's doing incredibly now, like a lot of his businesses that he looks after are just, you know, booming. And right at the beginning, he said, look, girls, I believe in you and I'm not going to charge my services until you actually successful which was amazing and you know we just got a bookkeeper straight away to kind of you know make sure all our tax and everything was in place and then we also signed up to a program called zero and so we have all our finances and things in that that we can see so and we work with Darren to kind of you know set targets and stuff so I think having your own little business plan and having a financial like team, you know, that's that's accountant, bookkeeper and advisor, all three of them. If they can all work under the same umbrella, that's great. It just means they can all talk to each other. And then thirdly, I think it's just, you know, be a dreamer as well, I think. Like I think think big and don't let other people you know, deter you by their own fears. I think it's kind of, you know, you can have a plan in place, but I also think constantly evolve your ideas and, you know, believe that anything's
1: possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be interesting, I guess, because uh, I, I know you would have probably had some big dreams for the first company, but the lack of the plan and the accountability with the finances and that sort of thing kind of would have in the downfall, I would assume, and you would have taken a more mature approach to the, the financial realities of running a business, perhaps.
0: Exactly.
1: Um, second one, yeah. yeah. So let's go yeah. into that story. So you finish your course in your diploma in Florence. And now I have no clue whether after you have a diploma, you, what do you do to start a business? Like, does that, you must have had some sort of plan in place. You're thinking, okay, Jess and I are going to, I don't know, rent an office, or do we just try and get our first client? What What happened? How How you? thinking about this.
0: (laughs) Okay. So we both moved to Sydney at the same time, as soon as I got back from overseas and we both got part-time jobs. We were like, okay, so we obviously need to still for rent and food while we are setting up the business. But our first interior job, we were really fortunate. It was a friend of mine who has a retail brand and he was like, hey, I heard that you're back and you've done interior design and we need a fit out for our store. Do you mind designing it? And so that was our first client, which was, it turned out to be amazing. We ended up doing three three more of their stores, but we just kind of, we definitely underquoted at the time because that's one, one thing about starting a business you have no idea like well, majority of people have no idea what people charge so it kind of I, I laugh at how little we made from that job but we got it professionally photographed straight away once it was done and I had a website built and you know we'd set up the an Instagram and I think our main thing right from the get-go was just to make ourselves present in the industry as fast as possible without you know Obviously, you know, having that much to show for it.
1: Can can I just ask you one question about this first job before you move on? Because I'm, I'm a complete, like, I have no understanding of how to even potentially price a start a job. I would assume in my mind, it's like, okay, so the client says, here's our space. And they say, make it look beautiful. And of course, you probably go back and forth with them to get a feel for their brand and what they're looking for. But it's not simply a case of going to the local furniture store, buying some random pieces, sticking it in there, and then charging a consulting fee, is it? There's more, more to this. Can you kind of explain like, what actually does an interior designer do and, and how does that work?
0: Yeah, so, well, we, our business, because sometimes we get mistaken for being interior decorators more so Mm. and then but we are actually I guess interior architects so Mm. you know we handle everything from the initial concept with a client through to uh, 3D rendering and construction documentation project management with the builders and then you know also going through to you know ordering materials and or furnishings and so you know we handle everything from you know like doing the whole construction build and, you know, anything structural basically and then, you know, go, going right through to the end of styling the space for them. So it's basically handling majority of the touch points mm.
1: so that first job can you say what their business was like what type of business they had
0: yeah so it was a fashion clothing brand and so it was for the one of the flagship retail spaces in brisbane actually they were based in sydney but they were opening another space in brisbane
1: so that sounds like quite a lot of technical aspects to what you're just described, the rendering. How did you feel like delivering this to this first client? I mean, you were fresh out of school. I know you had some previous experience with the the other job, but was it daunting? Were you kind of building some of this on the fly or was it just all natural for you guys?
0: Thankfully, because Jess had worked in the industry previously, we, you know, had it quite, well, she had quite a good understanding of client engagement and obviously putting together presentations and the process of creating the concept, getting that signed off, and then creating the construction documentation and handing the, the final documentation package over to builders for build, and then making sure that everything's obviously organized and that everything rides to site for build and then you know being a point of call so we had that kind of process and I learned so much from Jess like she was phenomenal you know right from the start and because I've I've never worked for another interior design firm but we kind of you know as each project evolved we you know definitely streamlined our process a lot better offered you know very clear phases for clients so Now we work in a five-stage process where there's two conceptual phases at the beginning. And then once phase two is complete, which includes 3D renders of the space, the client has a really clear understanding of what that space is going to look like at the end of the project so you know they sign off on it they can see it you know exactly how it's meant to look and then we go into the construction documentation and then we do it's called a furniture finishes and electrical package and that's you know all finishes all materials all furniture lighting fixtures everything in that package and that's you know pricing and lead times. And then we hand that over and then we order everything to site. So it's all ready for build and everything gets completed on time.
1: Okay, thank you. I feel so much clearer now on what exactly you do. <laughs> that's very helpful. What I am curious about, and I guess this is what you were just describing before, you're entering a somewhat specialized, I don't know if it's a crowded space, if there's a lot of people who do what you do, but it does seem like it's one of those areas where there's it's a lot about your creativity and you know it is a design business it's not like a nuts and bolts you know we always do the same thing so a lot of it comes down to not just your own skill set but a lot of it comes down to reputation and i'm assuming word of mouth so when you're starting fresh you're up against the established players i would assume in a space like even yeah. just for example in fashion retail there's probably a handful of people who, or companies that do the interior design that people just naturally go to because they've been doing it for the longest. It's who they went to previously. So how do you break into this space and uh, create a presence and, and do what you've just done, I guess, over the last few years and build a business?
0: Yeah. So I think, you know, one of our biggest objectives at the beginning was to make ourselves seen and to create a presence and to give ourselves a voice in the industry. Because as you said, you know, it is, you know, a highly saturated industry. There's interior designers everywhere. So it's like, how do you stand out from the crowd? And we set up Instagram account straight away when we launched the business. And initially we just started posting images, images.
1: Sorry, just, do you want to share that? Is it just we are tribe, at we are tribe?
0: Yeah. At we are tribe. So W E A R E T R double And yeah. And so we, you know, launched the Instagram account and started, we were like, okay, we want to create a community that's where we got the name as well. You know, tribe, we wanted to basically attract like minded people, and that's basically our slogan as well, which is designing spaces and products for the that we love for the like minded. And you know, that still to this day stands true. We, you know, want to create spaces that you know we love and that other people love, and so initially. We started Instagram account and started posting just reference imagery and tag, you know, obviously referencing the photographer or whoever owned, owned that image and creating, you know, our look and feel. And, you know, people started following us based on, you know, liking what we liked and, you know, whenever we could post our own imagery, we would as well. And then we started this thing called Tribe Tips and it was this hashtag that ended up actually getting so much traction and you know probably you know built our following quite quickly because we started dissecting uh, the images and you know explaining how to get that look in your own space and so what we found through the interior design industry is a lot of designers keep their cards very close to their chest and you know they don't tell people where something, where they can find a certain lamp in a picture. Like, you know, people would be like, oh, where's that chair from? And, you know, they wouldn't answer. And, you know, they, they kind of basically would want people to pay for their services to source those things for them essentially. And so we're well, like, you know what, we don't want to be like that. We want people to feel inclusive. We just want to tell people you know, as much information about the industry and what we do as possible. So we started doing these tribe tips and, you know, giving people as much advice and just saying, you know, like ask us any questions as well. And, you know, we were answering in comments and it just kind of gained a lot of traction from that. And we also launched the brand with these handmade candles that these ceramic candles that we had made over in Bali that cost a fortune and that was definitely experience that was more so a marketing tool versus a profitable tool. <laughs> that um, you know, we launched uh, Tribe with these beautiful handmade ceramics that we had the ceramics made over in Indonesia we then had them poured, the wax poured in Adelaide. We had the perfume custom made in Brisbane and sent to Adelaide. And then the, it was just wow. logistically the <laughs> worst, like, not like we did not think it at all. And I think the candles, like, to get them like the landing price of the candles was like $30, which is what you can buy a candle for. So they ended up costing us a fortune. But, and we've, you know, we've still got Collector's item. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) A hundred percent. But you know what? It was amazing because we launched the brand of these candles and we sent out the candles to a bunch of press, like there's many Mm. press contacts that we could get a hold of. And thankfully I had a few friends in PR who shared their, you know, press lists with us and we just we ended up going to a florist and getting these beautiful floral arrangements, but kind of a little bit more like a little garden in a tray made and then placed a candle in that and then hand delivered to, you know, different magazines and with a little note. And then so all these editors for magazines were taking photos and putting them on the Instagram and So that actually ended up being amazing and then they ended up featuring the candle in the magazine and and so it was just like a roll-on effect from that. And so we gained a bit of traction and then from the tribe tips we actually started doing downloadable free tribe tip guides on our um, website and so people were going on the site and downloading them and they'd be on different topics like you know tribe tips on how to do a kitchen renovation or tribe tips on how to choose the best flooring for your home and you know all different kind of topics Mm. or you know Yeah, so it was kind of just we were just trying to give as much advice as possible at the beginning so that you know you just gain people's trust and you know people believe in you and what you're saying. And so, you know, when you do build up your own imagery of your proper projects and you share them with people and stuff, people are a lot more you know responsive to it and supportive. And Mm. so, yeah, it just did, did quite well from the start.
1: I love it you're doing content marketing which is my world and you're triggering <laughs> there's a concept that I I learned over a decade ago called moving the free line which simply means giving away what you may have charged for in the past in my case it's usually giving away something like a book that you might have charged for but now you give it away for free as a way to what you just talked about build trust demonstrate your expertise get attention from a marketplace build your authority and so on and it sounds like You guys did exactly that with, and I just want to clarify, Tribe Tips is mostly Instagram posts initially. Then it was more detailed guides on your website. And uh, yeah, you moved to Freeline because previously the interior decorating or designing companies would have been keeping that information as only available if you hire us. And you're saying, no, let's move this to free content in order to build that following Get our presence in the marketplace. And then, of course, I'm assuming you can tell me, did you see that turn into paying clients as well?
0: Yeah, still to this day, we get out the most referrals through people who follow us on Instagram. And so we, and actually, you know, now it's building up to more clients that are continuous clients. So retail spaces, which are rolling out multiple stores or you know residential clients who have multiple projects but initially a lot of those people you contact us through finding us on social media.
1: Do you know how that works? Is it a case of following I guess various people in the design space and then Is it your hashtag? I'm always curious, the discovering process. I know once you're discovered, sure, they click the follow button. They keep seeing your images. They're in your world. But that initial contact point, are you versed a little bit on how they're first discovering you or is that a little bit of a word of mouth mystery?
0: I think it might be a little bit of a word of mouth mystery. It's definitely, yeah, it definitely amazes us how people kind of discover us or the amount of times if I've just been out at dinner and I meet someone brand new brand new that I've never met before and they're like, oh, yeah, what do you do for work? And I'm like, oh, you know, I have company, we are tribe. And they're like, I follow you.
1: <laughs> and it's just
0: a what? It's so strange when, you know, I'm still blown away. And you know what? I'm in the dark a little bit to how people find us, but
1: that's yeah. okay. It's working. Don't stop doing it, right? So, <laughs> yeah, the social exactly. world is amazing. You, you never really know. Sometimes, I mean, there's, there's tracking tools, and sure, you can run a campaign and, and assume it comes from that press article or something. But I think the, the social nature of something, especially like Instagram where you kind of fall into these holes of hashtags and following people and you can find yourself following someone like yourself without really realizing how you came across you. So, you know, that's cool. So take us forward. Um, You've got this sort of starting up phase where you're releasing content. I'm assuming the clients are starting to knock on your door. Again, I don't know how your industry or your service works, but can you get overwhelmed or like can only imagine you can't be doing 50, of these stores at once, especially during the early days. So, did you have a, a kind of a growth spurt and struggle to maintain, the, you know, delivering services, or how did it roll out?
0: A hundred percent. I think the first year, obviously, trying to get in enough work to give us a substantial or even just an income that we could get by on, was you know definitely tough. We were still working part time for you the. You first wanted the
1: baller years. income to begin with, by the sounds of things, Christina. Oh, exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah. Exactly. And you know what? Going from having a full time wage and then working for yourself those first couple of years are tough and it's, you know, some people like, you know, might launch a brand or a product and, you know, be earning heaps straight off the bat. But when you're building a service-based business, you have to build, you know, a reputation as well. So, that first year, when we completed that first retail space, and it was for a brand called Age, we had that photographed, and then we ended up getting a couple more projects off the back of that, which was great. Which you know, got a restaurant, and then a couple more smaller things. But at that time, we were just building the brand so much, and you know, on all touch points. So obviously the marketing side of things, social media, making sure that we're posting every day making sure that we were trying to get as much press as possible as well. So we were, you know, contacting a lot of media directly and just kind of pitching different story ideas to them as well. So that's another way that we've had a few referrals is from people seeing articles and stuff that we've either written or been featured in. But it wasn't until the end of that first year that we went full-time. And I still remember the day that Jess called me and she said, look, you know, because we she was working at a cafe when we were setting up the business and she was getting up at 5 a.m. And then I was working as an interior stylist for a company and we were both working part-time but we would, you know, finish the day and then either go to my house or her house and continue working until late at night. So we were... Burning the candle majorly at you know both ends, right from the get-go. And the day that she rang me to say, she was like, look i've I've quit." And, you know, we're going <laughs> without,
1: to... Without talking to you first? Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Well, like there was talk around it, but she was just like, no, I'm not getting up at 5am anymore and working till, you know, close to midnight. It's, you know, both of our personal lives were suffering from it. Both of our, you know, partners at the time were, you know, just like, we don't see you enough. And it was just kind of, it was so stressful on like, you know, trying to build, build a company that you're so passionate about. And she rang me and she just said, look, you know, so I've quit and I think that we have enough coming in, in the next three months financially to hold us over. And that, that was, I'm talking like probably, you know, 300, 400 bucks a week each or like not some weeks, not, but like just enough to cover our rent and Sydney's Mm -hmm. expensive rent. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't, and that was a lot of like, you know, gosh, our partners were amazing, you know, during that time and supporting us a lot. So, you know, we were very fortunate in that sense that they allowed us to build the brand, but yeah. So I was like, okay, cool. Like 400 bucks a week. Let's do this. Like, (laughs) (laughs) and, and I, yeah. And so I quit as well. And then sure enough, as soon as we both full-time it just changed significantly like we just had so much more time to invest in it and you know more work came in we had more time to pitch projects we had more time to contact people and it's just like taking that plunge is you know it's so daunting but we turned around the business and managed to you know increase our salaries you know by a few hundred bucks like within a, you know, a few months. And so, and to get it up to a wage that was, you know, manageable, you know, to get by for a while. And then we, you know, slowly, you know, increased it. And then we ended up hiring our first staff member. I think it was probably about two years in, two and a half years in, we managed to um, hire our first full-timer. But prior to that, we had interns. So, we did kind of build it so we had support and, but yeah, initially we kind of paced ourselves in terms of paid staff. So it, yeah, we got it to a stage and then, yeah, now we've got, you know, a couple of offices in Byron and I'm based in Melbourne. I've just left living in Sydney and I fly in and out of Sydney every month now. So, yeah.
1: Tell me about this first hire. What, what was the first job that they did?
0: So the first hire we actually got on board was a graphic designer. So one area of the business that Jess and I knew that we should step away from that was absorbing a lot of our time was our social media presence. So doing Instagram and then also these tip sheets and running the website and building that. So developing it. So we there was actually a girl that worked with Jess at that part-time job when she was at the cafe that she met and we kept in touch with her and she had done a little bit of work for us and so we hired her to help us out and she would schedule all our social media posts and she would build our tried tip sheets, um downloadable sheets for us and then Basically, we build web content and anything graphically that we mm. we required.
1: Yeah. Can I ask what that looks like today in terms of your online presence? It's obviously Instagram, but are you on Pinterest? Are you on Facebook? How? What does it look like?
0: Yeah. So we've we've actually had all platforms right from the beginning. So Pinterest, we've got Facebook. We're not that active on Facebook. We never really pushed that platform. We didn't find it, it was the best for us. And personally, Jess and I don't really use Facebook too much. So it didn't really feel right for us to try and push on that platform when we felt that Instagram was, you know, doing a great job. We would share images and content from Instagram to our Facebook page. But yeah, now we just, the platforms that we mainly use are Pinterest and Instagram.
1: Right. I was going to say, I thought Instagram's obvious and Pinterest is obvious. So Going forward with the rest of your team now, maybe you could fill us in on what it looks like today. What what is We Are Tribe as a company? Who's part of the team? You said you're living in Melbourne, flying to Sydney to service customers there. You've got a Byron Bay office. Is that where Jess and the rest of the team are? Like, What does it look like today?
0: Yeah. So one of our other full-time staff members that we got on board in Sydney, she was originally from Melbourne. And she still works for us, but she's actually just gone overseas for six months. But she came on board and after a year, she said to us, she was like, look, I'm really missing Melbourne and I'd like to move back, but I'd still like to work with you. And so she ended up working remotely from Melbourne. And then a girl that Jess had studied with was moving back from the UK to Melbourne. And so we hired her as well. And so our expansion to Melbourne was actually really organic and amazing because we trusted these stuff. And so we were flying in and out of Melbourne from Sydney and now my business partner, she has moved to Byron Bay, which is actually part of the plan the whole time. She's always wanted to live there and we're very big on, you know, supporting kind of our personal goals as well. And, you know, it wasn't my desire to... Live in Byron Bay, even though I love it and I can visit it all the time, I don't think I'd live there just yet. I'm definitely a city person. But she fell pregnant actually at the beginning of this year, and that kind of changed our plan. This is what I was saying earlier: you can have a business plan, (laughs) but you can't always stick to it. So the plan was that I would stay in Sydney. I would hire more staff in Sydney. We'd continue to have our Melbourne office and she was gonna to move to Byron and build a team there. Because there's actually amazing work in Byron and Queensland, and we actually get a lot of work up that way. So we we're like, it just made sense. And then I would just fly in between all three offices, which was definitely or well, is definitely ideal. But when she fell pregnant and we were trying to hire new staff and we were looking for a new office space in Sydney to move to because our lease was up and nothing was really eventuating the way that we had planned and we had these interviews back to back one day about you know I think it was like six interviews and you know we weren't quite finding the right fit and we had a lunch break in between and Jess just turned to me and she said would you consider moving to Melbourne (laughs) and I was and it was just so funny because my apartment lease that I was living in was finishing in two weeks time and it was such a fast turnaround I just turned to it and I was like yeah maybe I should move to Melbourne because it just we eliminated 50 grand worth of office rent in Sydney by me moving to Melbourne we already had two staff full-time staff in Melbourne I could build the team there we'd already done our legwork in Sydney Uh, You know, we had a presence, people knew, you know, we had clients, we still have lots of clients there and I could just, you know, most of my meetings with them, site visits. So I go to their place or, you know, if I was meeting a new client, there's plenty of amazing co-working office spaces that you can hire meeting rooms. And so you can still have that professional front. But you don't necessarily have to outlay, you know, fifty grand of annual office rent, and then this means we can, you know, expand the team in Melbourne. So she's moved to Byron Bay, and she's going on maternity leave in October. But then, when she finishes up maternity leave in February, she's going to get a new office space in Byron and hire up there. So, mm. and I'm just going to fly in between all three.
1: You mentioned off air that uh, you might. Have some overseas jobs, or maybe you already do have some overseas jobs. So, is is we our tribe going global?
0: Yeah, we have been for a little while now. So, we are working on seven holiday homes just outside Mexico City at the moment in a little town called Valle de Bravo.
1: How how did that happen? How does this client find you? (laughs) (laughs) It sounds so random.
0: (laughs) Okay. This is actually an amazing. I studied one of the guys that I studied with was from Mexico in Florence and then he introduced us to his friend who came out to Australia and was studying architecture and he came and did an internship with us for about six months. And then, you know, we kept in touch when he went back to Mexico and he, he contacted us and said, I want to partner. When he'd finished his architecture degree, he started his own architecture practice and he was like, I want to collaborate with you guys. And so now we're working on this amazing holiday home project with him, which is unbelievable. And we went over in January and saw how everything was progressing. And then we have a client, a retail client over in Auckland at the moment. And then as I mentioned to you, I've got a project in Toronto which is a high-end cannabis store which is the most interesting (laughs) fun project (laughs) (laughs) It's it's definitely a booming industry and it's an interesting kind of client and all the obviously legal side of things and yeah building a space that you have to you know at the moment we're designing glass canisters that you showcase the, the flower in but you know mm. people can't touch it but you need to be able to smell it and you know the client specifically said to us we want to design a space that's not medicinal at all we want it to be you know a wellness space you know and just like it's honestly it's going to be like a day spa wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's pretty funny interesting
1: it's clear your company is growing and you're going so global. How do you two, as founders, manage to keep delivering uh, you know, your level of quality that you want to when clearly you're getting pulled all over the world and you, you can't personally keep going to every single client's space You know many times but at some point in the future, maybe never. So it is the idea to hire a team that can basically do what you girls have done as founders and become the creative designers of spaces from the start or is that already happening?
0: That's already happening. So, we've definitely been really mindful of this because right from the beginning we were definitely the front of the business. People were hiring us because of Jess and I and our, you know, particular style and aesthetic, but you know, now we are really evolving our team You know, we are rehiring at the moment. We've got another girl starting full-time in a week and we work with a lot of subcontractors. So... You know, we, rather than hiring someone full time in house, we have a lot of people like globally that, you know, do construction documentation for us or, you know, uh, with the Toronto project, I'm actually, we're partnering with another interior design firm, a girl I actually studied with in Florence, who's one of my best friends. And she lives (laughs) over there and she came to us with a project and she was like, this guy, this project is perfect for you guys. And I'd love to collaborate so you know we work with different designers and we're quite collaborative in that sense but we do outsource a lot of work so at the moment especially with Jess going on maternity leave we've really been restructuring the business so that I obviously don't get too snowed under when she goes away and we're building a team at the moment of designers that I can really trust and that will you know, run the projects from start to finish, have a lot of client contact, I will, you know, schedule just in meetings to look over concept and give any feedback, but, you know, I can primarily then have the freedom to obviously run the back end of the business, obviously make sure everyone's wages are getting paid. We're bringing in, you know, more project work. So I think at the moment, it's just kind of bolstering our team to, you know, have really trustworthy staff, you know, really creative uh, staff who, you know, inspire each other and, have a really good creative vision as well so that it's not just reliant on Jess and I and then you know going from there I think you know we want to build up I think our goal isn't to necessarily build a business with you know a huge team like you know we don't necessarily have the desire to have if it does go that way then incredible and if it scales and in that direction but we don't necessarily need a team of 15 to 20 staff. You know, if we're bringing in the projects and have, you know, enough, you know, manageable staff to handle it and can outsource, you know, work when required, I'd prefer that than to, you know, really like feel like we need to scale fast mm-hmm. and just get, you know, <clears throat> multiple staff members
1: you're talking about so many subjects that most people in my space would be saying, "Oh, I studied this book on how to grow a team, or I took this course on how to grow my Instagram. Have you ever done any formal training on, you know scaling up a business? Uh, I, I can think of a few books myself. I've read recently one called Built to Sell, which is all about building a team that can do what you just talked about, run, A business without you, even in a creative role, and of course, social—you know—that's a skill set in itself. So, have you, either of you, as founders, like gone through training besides training in the craft of interior design itself?
0: Yeah. So, I actually, of course, I did straight out of high school. I just did a, a one. I should have mentioned that before, but I did a a business and event management course straight out of the high school before I um, went into the working field. And so I learned a little bit around that. And then Jess, while I was overseas in Florence, actually did an online course called The B School by Marie Folio. okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, we did structure the business slightly based on that. Like we did, you know, some of those kind of tasks and, you know, things that she gives you to build up like, you know, write down what your ideal client is like and, you know, what are they called? What do they do as a career? And, you know, it kind of helps you streamline your marketing and your voice and, Mm -hmm. you know, what you're saying and we found that kind of helped us at the beginning to create our look and feel and things like that. But then, yeah, I, I do read a lot of business books as well and I get uh, like a little bit of advice from mentors. So I'm reading a book at the moment called The E-Myth. Have you heard oh, of that one, Michael Gerber? Uh,
1: oh, yeah. That's from of the very first business books I ever read when I was about 18, 19, so <laughs> 20 plus years ago. I actually had him on the podcast at one point. Yeah, it's a classic. Amazing.
0: Yeah, so I, I'm actually, I only just got told about it recently. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Better late than never.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. I am actually happily surprised that I'm reading through it and I'm like, I already, I already know this. Yeah, we're already applying it. It
1: sounds like this. you're doing it all. So, you know, um, mm. it's great and, and it's inspiring. Yeah. It's, Christina, a few couple of questions before we wrap up here, last sort of five minutes for the the listener here who's thinking, I've got a creative skill. Maybe it's in a similar industry to what you're doing, maybe not. And I know they're probably thinking, well, I'm not sure if I'm good enough. I'm not sure how to create that presence because I don't know, you know, what's my story angle? What's my hook? How am I going to get pressed to talk about me? Because I don't feel like I'm that special or maybe I'm not that talented. All these sort of self-doubt thoughts in their brain, not to mention just the the daunting task of all those elements of growing a business, like you said, the controlling of the finances, the hiring of a team, it can feel very overwhelming very quickly, especially in an interview like this, where we've kind of covered years of your life. And it's almost like, oh my God, there's so much to do and learn. Mm -hmm. What, What do you say to a person who's, you know, who's Christina and Jen right back at the start, who are about to try and find their first client and go into a crowded space that's difficult to stand out in? What, what do you advise them to do, whether it's mindset or even studies or the practicality of doing this? What would you suggest are the most important things?
0: I think one of the things, and I've had this conversation with a few people who have been starting their business and asked the same question, you have to really believe in what you're putting out there. And I think going back to what Jess and I, our slogan of designing spaces and products that we love for the like-minded we're like you attract your tribe and I think whatever product or you know service you want to put out there don't do it because you just you think it's going to bring you a lot of income and things because thing is people see straight through that which is what I've found it's you know what you are kind of what you believe in and what your product that you're putting out there like you need to love of it. And you need to, I think, you know, whatever that we were saying on our social media, whatever we were doing for our clients and, you know, products that we were creating, like we personally, like would buy them ourselves or, you know, we would buy into that or we would believe in what we were saying, you know, hearing. So I think it's, that's one of the key things. And then I think as well, get as much as advice as you can right from the start, talk to people that have started their own business, you know, get advice about, you know, what they did wrong. And so that you don't make the same mistake and then, you know, and how they structured it at the beginning. I know that people like, I don't even know where to start. And it's just like, put your idea down, your idea down on paper And just see how it can work. And, you know, even if it's just a one-month plan initially and it's like, okay, by the end of this month, I want to contact this many people and, you know, or I want to try and earn this much income or make this many sales And just work towards that. And it's just stepping stones. But I think it's talk to as many people as possible to get advice right from the get-go and talk to people that you believe in, I think, you know, and you value their advice. So I think there's also that, you know, fine line between getting too much advice or also taking on negative advice too literally. So I remember reading when I finished my studies in Florence and before I moved to Berlin, I actually read The Alchemist. And, you know, one of the things I took away from that is, you know, life is always going to give you hurdles. And, you know, it's almost like, how are you going to take on that lesson? Is it going to deter you from the next step? Or, you know, is it basically giving you that lesson to go, okay, that wasn't the course I was meant to, you know, right course I was meant to be on. You know, what steps can I take next? And, you know, don't get knocked down. Like, always pick yourself up. And take it on as a lesson rather than a setback.
1: Mm -hmm. What's your advice regarding partnerships? Do you recommend them? Do you think it's okay to go solo?
0: I highly recommend it. Right from the beginning, that was one thing, you know, saying before of like negative advice. The amount of people, like our parents, close friends, were like, I don't think this is a good idea going into business with your friend. And I think that because Jess and I, right from the beginning, put our friendship first. And we just said to each other, we were like, you know what, communication is key. And we had that open conversation. It's like, even if one of us is annoying each other, or you know, you don't agree with each other, I think it's like, you need to work through that. And you need to learn how to talk to each other and listen. So it's basically, even if you don't agree with something that that person is saying or putting forward or you don't like something, you know, that like saying aesthetically, you know, you still need to take it on board and then meet in the middle. And that's what we've kind of the best thing about Jess and I is that we've, you know, definitely right from the start of just being really honest with each other. And we don't take offense to each other's comments so we're not rude to each other but we definitely listen to what each other say and so you know i, I think it's just worked perfectly that way
1: final question what, what's the future <laughs> for we are a tribe but is there a big exit possibly one day i know you you love what you do but maybe you won't forever what have you thought about that
0: yeah sure so we have a few different plans and whatever way kind of goes we're, we're happy but I think, you know, if we do just decide to kind of build up the business, we kind of see ourselves either partnering with another design firm, whether that's an architecture firm and, you know, kind of having a business that hopefully can run itself essentially or build a team that, you know, we can step back from and kind of not have as much involvement down the track or, you know, just kind of be more board of directors. And then we can, you know, work on other things like, you know, whether we have different accommodation that we want to build all around the world. So whether that's boutique hotels and so still all underneath the same brand, but, you know, whether our service side, we don't have to be so heavily involved, you know, because that's what really you know, it sets us back sometimes and that's what we're building the brand at the moment is if we are heavy in each project, you know, there's a ceiling of that you hit with how much you can actually take on board. So I guess it's, you know, building a business that can kind of function with us overseeing things, you know, a bit more intermittently. And then, you know, if we do global kind of accommodation, we've also got idea for really great a non-inventory furniture online platform, so that would be going more into the online realm. Mm. And um, I like to hear that. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: I know, I know. So, but that is a monster in itself. That idea. It's an amazing idea, but we would need to be able to have a really functioning business that wouldn't rely on us being there every single day in the office to get that new business off the ground. So if we could work towards that, that'd be amazing. But we've always been quite strategic with how we grow the business and make sure that we're you know, building it at the right time and scaling and bringing on staff when we know it's you know, the right time for
1: us. <laughs> Fantastic, Christina. Thank you for sharing. The detailed story I'm looking forward to seeing the, the future of this as well whether you know one day I'll be walking in Canada and, and seeing We Are Tribe offices possibly or certainly stores with We Are Tribe fit outs I won't know <laughs> there'll be <laughs> cannabis stores but I won't know yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> not that I walk into any cannabis stores but anyway who knows but yeah thank no, you for sharing
0: I, like, oh, I, think I need to start smoking pasta <laughs> before research I feel <laughs> like I'm a little bit of an imposter doing these stores but yeah <laughs>
1: Well, Canada's definitely the place to do it. Uh, I feel like I'm not Canadian if I don't and I haven't yet. So but yeah. Awesome. Thank you for sharing the story. I do appreciate the background and diving deep. It was really cool to hear how it all came together and hopefully the audience benefited. We are tribe.com with tribe two eyes to spell it. That's to where to find you. Any other resources? Obviously your Instagram is linked from there. They can download some of those handouts you've got to help with their own interior design projects is there anywhere else you'd like to send them to
0: i think those two are probably the best places so okay. yeah
1: awesome yeah. and thanks uh,
0: so much Yarrow.
1: great to talk to you christina
0: you too talk soon thanks for listening to yarrow's podcast for more episodes visit yarrow.blog and subscribe on itunes or google